listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 209. How's it going, Mark? Well, Apple figured out where our desktops are. Okay. Actually, that's not true. Apple's sending us new desktops. Okay. They don't know where they are. <laughs> In case you've been following the saga of OGGN's lost uh, desktops been solved. Thank you, Apple. The other thing that's going on that's strange for us is we actually have no reviews today. Whoa. Come on, peeps. <laughs> we always get at least two or three every week. And we got zero for this week, which is fine. I know everybody's busy in this crazy 20... 20 COVID-19. Mark, I'm just trying not to mess. melt. I'm trying not to melt. The temperature is about as high as the, uh, the humidity. It's <laughs> ridiculous. And I have, you cannot find a pool around here. I've tried to buy an inflatable pool. Don't judge me, people. But I found one on Amazon and I'll get it in about a week or two. So, so are you going to be that person with the inflatable pool in your backyard acting like you're at the beach? Hell yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if, <laughs> if we get a chance and we can get Paige to agree upon it, which is the chance of that's almost zero, we'll shoot some video because this would be funny. <laughs> I'll out. do a selfie. <laughs> do a selfie. Or something. <laughs> or something. Speaking or something, it's time for the news. What's going on in the world? Well, I mean, what isn't? But yeah. any, anyhow, Dakota Access Pipeline to shut down pending review federal judge rules. Okay, people. <sighs> Darn it. So these are the anti-oil and gas the environmentalists have pushed really hard, and they have shut down a pipeline page that has been up and operating for over two years. Now, why would they do that? Because they think it's better for the environment. The truth is, not only is it not better for the environment, the pipeline's the safest way to move anything. And then the economic impact of doing something like this is crazy. I think this is the largest or maybe the only transport that's moving to the hub. It's not the Henry Hub. What's the hub up there? Appalachian Hub, I think, to move that Bakken produced crude. And it's the only way to get uh, that crude to the hub in, in Illinois. I think it's Pagoda. I actually think that's the name of the hub there. So you're now eliminating the ability to move that Bakken crude to market, which means it's going to be moved anyway. But guess how it's going to be moved? By rail and truck which is unbelievably unsafe, right? And the Corps of Engineers gave this full blessing. Um, I fully expect this to go to court. In fact, I know it's going to go to court. I know that the courts will abide on the side of the operators and the owners of the pipeline, you know, energy transfer partners, those people. The thing is, this could take years. And for years, they're going to have this asset they can't make money at. So I will give credit to the anti-oil and gas people. I mean, if you wanted to try to accomplish shutting down cheap, reliable energy to the one third of the country, you're on the right track. But this is just literally ridiculous. And it's one thing to stop a pipeline that's under construction. Once again, it's still the safest way to move anything. But this is the first time I've ever seen the anti-oil and gas activists in a very targeted and very well orchestrated campaign shut down an existing pipeline. Everybody in this industry should be scared of this, right? They're able to shut down existing operating pipelines. That's the only way we move hydrocarbons to market. It's also the only way that you, when you turn on your stove in the morning, you have gas and hot water and heat. So this is just, this is something that the court needs to quickly remedy. Unfortunately, because of everything that's going on in 2020, you know, the court is going to take longer to get to this. At the, uh, you know, social distancing, the ability for the lawyers to have depositions, you know, they have to do all that virtually. 
So this is just a mess, and this thing needs to be corrected. So let's keep an eye on this because this has huge implications. Implications. Listen to me. So actually, <laughs> implications moving forward. Somebody needs to <laughs> eat a snack. Here's a question for you. So they say it's got to be emptied by August 5th. Yeah. So according to the the judge that made the, in, the injunction here, they're making them empty the pipeline. How right? long does that take? I don't remember how, how big a pipeline this is. So first thing, that typically never happens. Yeah. They take segments of the pipeline offline. Right. right. So they basically cut the valves. They drain that segment so they could do routine maintenance or repair. They don't ever drain the entire pipeline. Then when, once they drain the entire pipeline, guess what the pipeline owner has to worry about? Corrosion. Yeah, I was just about to say corrosion. Yeah. now you're introducing oxygen into the inside of that pipe that normally doesn't have oxygen. So this, this is just a mess. And, and as an industry people, we need to pay attention to this sort of stuff and stand up to this. This should not have happened. It happened. We need to fix it. And we also as an industry need to keep our eye on this sort of stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Texas oil industry crafts plan for students to graduate debt free with a six figure job. Isn't this the coolest thing? Uh, yeah. When I found it, I was just like, oh, we definitely have to put this on the show. Yeah. So what's happening is the state of Texas, along with the Department of Energy and the Small Business Administration, sees the same thing that you and I have been talking about for years, right? This looming talent shortage in oil and gas that's coming at us like a freight train. And especially in the basins in Texas, like the Permian, we need enough people to be able to extract those hydrocarbons safely and economically. And I know everybody that that companies are laying off right now, that companies are going out of business. You know, the Permian's not drilling anymore. I know that, but it, it's going to come back and it's going to come back relatively soon. And so what what this group has done is taken the, the cost of tuition and then the ability for these students, once they get out, to get a job, and they've worked with both the Small Business Administration and the federal government as far as the, some of the current administration's tax cuts and incentives, and also the Department of Energy. So basically, when these students graduate, and I'm going to make up a major, let's say they graduate with a degree in petroleum engineering, and they've run up you know, 80 grand worth of, of cost to get that degree, when they go work in the industry, it doesn't matter which company it is, as long as they're in the industry – the federal government, the Small Business Administration, and the uh, Department of Energy in Texas will then go back and pay off their tuition. So if you're a student and you get out, you basically have no student debt, and you're walking to a six-figure job. That is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Wish they would have done that a long time ago. But anyhow, API welcomes USMCA implementation. Making See, fun look- of me stumbling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I stumble all the time. So that's the U.S.-Mexico-Canadian agreement, USMCA. Right. It sounds like a branch of the armed forces. It does. But this is what happened when the current administration repelled the NAFTA Act and actually came back and went brought everybody back to the negotiation table. This is a much fairer agreement. This is provides a, a critical framework to make sure that the trade across the borders are fair and also the energy market is more accessible to everybody. So, for instance, in Mexico, they're building electrical generation plants and distribution centers so that they can educate their people, you know, so they can give students air conditions, classrooms and with lights and Internet access and computers and everything. But they don't have natural gas to fire these power plants. We have tons of it. Right. So now it's going to be very easy for uh, states like Texas to build pipelines across the border to bring natural gas to Mexico so they can have cheap, abundant electricity. Same way with Canada. Now, the, of course, the problem with Canada is their own politics. And to all my Canadian brothers and sisters, I know, I know, I know. We're right there with you. But it's a really good thing we got rid of this free trade agreement, which was biased against the oil and gas industry and also in some ways biased against American taxpayers. So this is a much fairer agreement. I think there's two or 300 uh, member companies and associations of this agreement. They all ratified it. And then this is being reported by the uh, API American Petroleum Institute, 
which I sit on the board of the Houston chapter of. So it's just kind of cool to see the API pull something together that is beneficial to everybody. And hats off to the diplomats that worked on this, both in the U.S. and in Mexico and Canada, because this, this is good for everybody. So this is good news. All right. So oil prices resume climb on positive U.S. jobs report. And so what the audience didn't hear is me trying to ask Alexa for 30 minutes, what was the price of WTI? <laughs> and eventually I got the format right and she told me what it was. But we're over $40 today, which is which is awesome. A couple of things going on. One is perception. And it's really amazing. I've always known that perception affected prices, especially commodity prices like crude oil, natural gas. I never really knew the degree that the perception affected until we went through this year. It was a roller coaster ride. A lot of it was on perception. So perception is part of this. You know, investors and companies are believe that we're coming out of this in a relatively near future, and so they have high hopes. They also believe that air traffic will pick up, that car traffic will pick up, that more soccer balls need to made be made, that people will buy more lipstick and car tires. And so that's driving the price up. But the other thing is our our own U.S. Department of Labor had a report showing that uh, payrolls rose by almost $5 million in June, which was totally unanticipated, right? So so there's some gains going on in the middle of all these layoffs and, uh, you know, people being furloughed and everything else. And so the higher than expected increase in payrolls helped drive this too. So we're in a good place at $40 today. It needs to keep moving up, which I expect it will. But this is the highest level that I've seen since March, which is just great news. But Paige, I can't believe I'm super excited about $40 a barrel. <laughs> I mean, that's where we are as an industry, but we're there. $40 a barrel, let's hope that it keeps climbing up, and it will keep climbing up. All right, yeah. So Buffett's Berkshire to buy Dominion Energy gas ads for $4 billion. So I don't know Warren, although if he's listened, I'd love to get to know him. He seldom makes mistakes. Short term wise, he does things that you don't understand and you think is a mistake. And then three years later, something happens. You go, oh, my God, this guy have a crystal ball. This is just a great time to, to tap into this. I mean, we've been talking that the mergers and acquisitions will get picked up uh, a lot. This is a way for Berkshire Hathaway to tap into uh, natural gas transmission storage business, which is something they have some domain expertise, and they're buying it now for pennies on the dollar. And this has actually also allowed Dominion to focus on its core competency, which is utilities. So it's really good for, for both sides. Berkshire Hathaway picked up, I think, about $6 billion of Dominion's debt. Can you imagine picking up $6 billion of somebody's debt no. and being happy with it? No. <laughs> but it still expects this deal is still worth around $10 billion, even with the debt that they picked up. So it's just a great asset to add to the the portfolio of, of um, Berkshire Hathaway. Those people don't make mistakes. This is a, a smooth move, a smart deal. I really thought Exxon was going to get involved in this when I saw what the what was going on, and they didn't. So, you know, anyway, Warren, yeah, if you need my help with stuff, which it doesn't look like you do, reach out. I'll be happy to help you. Feel free to write me a check. <laughs> All right. So any makes new guest discovery off of Egypt. Yeah, so this is interesting. If you read the article, if you notice, they said they made a new discovery in 22 meters of water. I think that's less than 100 feet. I think it's like 78 feet of water. So this is what we would call shelf in the Gulf yeah, of Mexico. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually 11 kilometers from the coast, so it's actually really close. It's a very thick gas column. Um, there's a bunch of liquids in it. But the fact that they made a exploratory well in, with their first license and hit pay dirt is really awesome. Now, any is no stranger to doing this, and they have some friends. Yeah. BP and Total. Yeah. So between the three of them, they're pretty good doing this sort of stuff. It's really cool to watch the Egyptian discoveries go on on and on and on and on. It's been happening for the last two years. 
it's going to be uh, really interesting to watch as our economy picks back up how much of that part of the Middle East starts buying Egyptian oil versus OPEC oil. Which, and I know Egypt is part of OPEC, but their their government is a little bit different than than the rest of the Middle East. So keep an eye on this. But I'm glad they made a discovery. And the thing about this discovery is it took a rig, it took a drill ship. So there's another drill ship on contract. There's other crews out there working. Right. So this is good for everybody. Keep on doing what you're doing, Annie. Yeah, let's see. Speaking of Dominion, Dominion Duke exit pipeline project after years of delays. You want to guess what the delays were caused by? Protesters. Yep. And Ta-da. so what, what should <laughs> you have a magic ball? You have won the prize. <laughs> so what should have been a four billion dollar project has a mushroom to eight billion dollars, and it just does not make fiscal sense. Oof. And it's mushroom because to your point of the protesters, every little legal thing they can throw in the way. Every little toad that might be endangered, every little crossing that might cross a, a, a piece of running water, every native tribe that's in the area who you know has oppositionists, they, they pull together and it just got to the point where it just makes no financial sense for them to do it. Once again, as an industry people, we need to pay attention to this. It's one thing to have protests, but when they start shutting down parts of our business, even though the U.S. Forest Service gave total green light for this project, you know, this was a very... I have to admit, very well-funded, very well-orchestrated, very well-executed approach by the anti-oil and gas people. So sorry, people in North Carolina and Virginia who have their energy bills dropped because of this pipeline. It's not going to happen. In fact, your your cost of both electricity and for heating is probably going to go up because of this. I don't expect Dominion and Duke to challenge this, and especially since Dominion is getting out of the natural gas uh, pipeline business. I do expect Duke to do a, a workaround, but honestly, Paige, I don't want to talk about it because I know we have some some activists that listen to our show. Oh, do and we? I, yeah, and I just and and thank you for listening to the show, but I don't want to give them any ammunition. Now, it's not like Duke calls me and we have the strategy session, but looking at what's going on and looking at the demand that they can fix with this constraint of the pipeline, there's other routes they can take, and I'm pretty confident they're going to take one of those routes. I just don't want to talk about it right now, not publicly. Okay, that's fair. So this is crazy. Pirates attack FPSO and kidnap nine. Do you remember what FPSO stands for? Not right now. Floating production storage. No, now I can't remember what it's <laughs> Floating production storage something. <laughs> anyway, so this is an FPO ship that was attacked right off the coast of Nigeria. If you don't know this, pirates are real. There's a lot of them going on. There's actually some in the Gulf of, of the U.S. Are, are <laughs> but, there really? Yeah, in the, toward the Mexico side. Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes okay, that makes um, more sense. But Africa is is a hotbed for the pirates, and basically what they do is they take a handful of small vessels and they'll attack a bigger vessel take it over and then demand ransom to get the vessel back. And sometimes they take the people that are, are working on the vessel and kidnap them and then demand ransom, to get the people back. And that's exactly what happened here. You know, this is one of those times when, you know, if you're operating in the world's piracy hotspot, which they were, you need some security and there's companies out there that do this. And there's actually a bunch of cool videos out there of the security companies on super tankers and on FPSOs and on crew boats and the, when the pirates pull up, they don't know that the tanker's armed. And it's the funniest thing in the world to watch the pirates, once they figured out they're outgunned, haul butt as quick as they can to get away from there. And I, I'm making a point in that nobody got hurt because the pirates were scared of overwhelming force. So if you're operating in one of these world's hotspots, go ahead and spend the money and time to, to get the right people, the right 
arms on your ships to protect your people because the pirates won't engage with you if you're armed. They only engage with you when they think you're an easy sitting duck and you're not armed. There's also some video of, and I think it was Israel. Israel took one of their small frigates, which is like a light destroyer, very, mm-hmm. very well armed, and disguised it as a crew boat. And they had a bunch of pirates attack this frigate. <laughs> it's the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> you have to send me that link. I want to see I'll, that. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But, you know, they took some hostages here. I don't think the hostages have been relief yet. So our prayers uh, to the hostages and to their families that they get released safely, which they should. Typically, nothing bad happens to the hostages. But, you know, if you're operating this part of the world, people, spend the extra dollar. Protect your assets and your people, please. Amen to that. Saudis hike oil prices to key markets on rising energy demand. Yeah. So when we say OPEC, we really should say Saudi. It's really interesting. So what Saudi is doing right now is they're, they're, they're balancing, trying to drive up the cost of crude, which benefits everybody, benefits Russia, benefits us, and benefits them without losing market share. As the price grows up, they have a bigger risk of moving mar- losing market share to cheaper oil from us and Russia. So it's a, it's, it's a kind of a catch-22 situation. And so what they're doing is they're raising pricing very slowly on the different grades of crude that the Russia and the U.S. can't compete with, which I think is super smart by them. Now, they're on the right track, but in, t- in order for this to work for them, they have to exclude the fact that the U.S. and Russia could do something very similar, which in the U.S. it's going to be harder because it's a bunch of independent operators and they all have to agree. But Russia could easily take some of its crudes that Saudi can't compete with, right? It's a different weight crude, and then slowly raise the price on that. So then you get into this microeconomy war, which isn't going to really affect the overall industry, but will affect certain parts of the and certain parts of the certain uh, geographic areas of, of the world. But this is this is all going smoothly. I, I I'm telling you, I really wish that OPEC would come back and visit with the U.S. and Russia and let's work together. So if anybody's listening out there, we did it in the very beginning when, when the oil prices crashed. The the agreement, the verbal agreement between us, Russia, and OPEC, kind of waned away because we didn't make it formal and because there's some issues here in the U.S. with the antitrust laws with us setting prices. It's it's not doesn't fit our constitution or our capital markets. But I think it's the I still think it's the best thing. There ought to be a way for us to do it legally and ethically because I'm telling you, if us and OPEC and Russia can agree on production numbers, we won't ever go through another one of these low crew prices again, crashes again. And if the market is that super stable, you can see the prices of everything lower. Because if I'm making soccer balls or car tires and I know I don't have to ever deal with price fluctuations, I can lower my margins and still be safe. So you know, let's hope everybody comes back to the table. But Saudi's doing what it should, what what I would do if I was Saudi right now, and trying to drive the cost of crude up slowly. Next article is Cosmos Energy urges government to facilitate more exploration projects to alleviate COVID nineteen impact on oil industry. Yeah, so this is this is basically Guyana, and what's happening is. You know, their economy was expected to boom because all the discoveries and the production that was going on in their part of the world, the COVID pandemic hit, shut everything down. Then we had the double black swan hit. And unlike here in the U.S., they literally have no other way to generate revenue for the, for the country. Here in the U.S., we have agriculture and manufacturing and, right. you know, financial. We have a bunch of different ways to make money, but they don't. And it's kind of sad because I had so much high hopes for them because they're one of the few countries that got a lot of the corruption cleaned up. And no hate mail people. I still know there's corruption there, but they got a lot of it cleaned up. And I had high hopes that this money was going to come into the government and then be dispersed to the people to build schools and hospitals and everything. Now it's being pushed out. The other thing is with this enormous decrease in revenue for the country – 
what I wonder what's going to happen with corruption. They, they did a good job of pushing it back, but is it going to creep back in because now people are desperate? I would imagine so. Yeah. It sounds like that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So let's just keep an eye on this. You know, I, you know I, I don't want things to go bad there, but with so much of their new burgeoning economy dependent on the price of crude and, and we had all this stuff happen in 2020, it's going to hurt them for the next couple of years. I just hope they can hold it together, keep the corruption creeping back in. And then by, you know, next year, first, second quarter next year, we're back to $65 a barrel. They should be in a good place. Good deal. High quality oil and gas assets should drive an M&A recovery, which you were just talking about a while ago. Yeah, so there's been several big deals that have went on this quarter. There's more coming. ExxonMobil has a war chest just waiting. I can't quite figure out what they're looking at, though. But like once again, they don't call them and ask me, even though they should. <laughs> but but the people that have capital right now are, are buying stuff, and, and which they should. You're going to see a lot of consolidation, especially in the upstream space. It's happening in the pipeline space, too, right now. But, you know, when you start looking out toward the end of this year, I think you can see a lot more natural gas asset sell because that looks like the first thing to make start making money the end of this year before next year when the price of crude starts keeping up. But still, there's a lot of prime assets in, in the major shell plays. And a lot of those operators, those big operators have, have declared bankruptcy. And so even though they're filing Chapter 11 so they get to keep their assets, at some point, they're going to need to sell some of their, say, second tier to help support their business as they come out of bankruptcy. So, you know, if you have capital right now and you understand how to operate efficiently in the shell plays, you're, you're shooting fish in a barrel right now. You're not trying to figure out what's the best asset to pick up. You're trying to figure out what's the best 30 assets for me to pick up. Then when we come out of this, you'll have less companies doing the same work, which should mean that we do it more efficiently, which should mean that they should be able to make money and hire more people. So this is to be expected. You know, I haven't been the only one talking about this. Ask any of the experts in our industry. They knew this was coming and it will continue to come. I am really curious about the impact that the mergers and acquisitions are going to have on, on the service companies. I don't have any insider information, but I'm looking at what's going on with Slumberjay right now. Slumberjay has a huge presence outside the U.S. They struggled for a while here in the U.S. And with what's going on in 2020, I would not be too surprised if they pull a lot of their operations out of the U.S., maybe even completely. You know, I know that's a bold statement to say Slumberjay may leave the U.S. Look at your face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but, for real? Are you, are you seriously thinking that? I'm seriously thinking that. Would I say it's a 75% chance of happening? No, I'd say it's like a 50% chance of okay. happening. But it's, there's at least a chance of it happening. And so what happens when the service companies, when the, the, the big three reinvent themselves? Let's say I'm right and Slumberjay pulls most of its people and assets out of the U.S., that leaves Halliburton and Baker Hughes. Well, Baker Hughes has went through some amazing changes. To turn, they turn themselves into a technology company. Right. Thank you, Baker Hughes. I said that five years ago. That's where we're going. Um, <laughs> you know, Weatherford's in bankruptcy right now. Yeah. Halliburton's holding on in the U.S. They don't do real well outside the U.S. when they compete with Slumberjay. So it's going to be an interesting place to see. It's it's going to be a prime time for newer, smaller service companies to stand up and, and take a lot of that space, I think. And I, but I don't think it's going to happen until 2022, 2023. But, you know, let's keep an eye on this. The, you know, the mergers and acquisition are happening. I'm actually, can't even say too much about this. I'm actually involved in potential M&A deal as an expert. And it's really interesting to see when you get behind that curtain, the companies that have capital know how much advantage they have right now. And mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's it's just, it's amazing to see. And the cool thing is if you work for those companies, not only do you feel safe, but you know that the future is going to be bright. You know, there's you could grow through acquisition like we did. We just acquired a podcast. We, we yeah. grew our an audience by acquiring a podcast. So same thing going on here, just not as maybe as much talking on microphones. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. That's it for this week. That was some good news articles like the pirate one. 
Speaking of liking stuff, if you want one of these really cool IBM shirts, go check it out. It's, go to the show notes, click on the link. We give away one a week. We started delivering those actually Friday of last week. I pulled the trigger on that. So if everybody that red shirt, one that didn't get it, your shirt will show up in, the, say, the next 10 days or so. And then I had a good meeting with IBM also last week, and we got some really cool plans for those unique serial numbers. I know I've been saying that, but we had this little COVID-19 pandemic, double black swan event, this social little, unrest little thing, thing yeah. happened that yeah. delayed everything. But at least we're back to normal and delivering a shirt. So go out there. Go register for the shirt. If you win one, shoot us a picture of it. It's really amazing to watch people show up at events with our shirts on. Yeah, it immediately catches my eye. And I'm like, you, come here. I got to give a big shout out to IBM. So I met with their new president of, of or the new head of oil and gas uh, just last week, and I showed him the shirt, and he goes, "I want one." <laughs> he, <laughs> and even I had he to tell him you can't have one, right? <laughs> you can't have one because your company. So it was just funny. But folks, go register for the shirt. Weekly rig count page. Where are we? Oh man, two sixty six, five percent down from last Ooh, week. That's a big drop. Yeah, it's a huge drop. Yeah, I would have thought that would have leveled off by now. Obviously, I was wrong. Well, you're the one that said it wasn't going to go under three hundred. Yeah, I thought it was going to stop at three hundred, start uh, creeping back up. Yeah, so, not so much. No, no, I'm wrong all the time. Speaking of wrong all the time, I was not wrong when I came with the idea for the street team. Right. It's our whole volunteer uh, group of people. We ask you for an hour's worth of work a week. I actually asked our street team to help me with a LinkedIn video I put out uh, this morning. So literally, all you do is click and share stuff, and then we give you cool stuff. And when life gets back to normal, if we're in your geographic area, we're at a conference or event, you get to join us as press. I think we even have t-shirts for that, too. Yeah, we had swag. I, do you know where that... No, I need to talk to Tim. I'll talk to Tim and yeah. Savannah. So we have swag that's going out to the street team. We've ordered it. I just don't know where it is. Neither this page, but but we've grown I'll so check much. With, I'll check with Tim and Savannah yeah. and get yeah, so street team, it's coming. Just not sure when, but but yeah. And if you want to join, go to Facebook. Search for OGG and street team. And uh, I think there's a couple of questions you have to answer to make sure you're a real person. And then you're part of the family. And then the monthly events email newsletter. Thank you, everybody. Y'all have been signing up for this thing because I see when y'all sign up, even though we haven't been kicking it out. So now I'm going to have to revamp and get it out based upon guilt because y'all been signing up for stuff. So we're going to work with our new admin, uh, Savannah, and it's just going to be Actually, her our test. new producer, Savannah. Oh, that's right. She's our new producer, right? She, yep. Yeah. Savannah went from admin to producer in one day. <laughs> Not even about, a month, really. <laughs> you talk about hard work and talent when you make that big <laughs> jump in one day. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to get the events newsletter rolling again. It's going to be a lot of virtual stuff. Well, everybody's excited to go do stuff. Everybody wants to. I want to. I, I bought a pair of shoes before this whole pandemic thing hit, and I'm, I haven't even been able <laughs> to wear, wear them. Shoes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're nice. They're dress shoes, you know? So yeah, so I went when I had lunch last week. I actually put on jeans, which is not being dressed up, but I haven't had jeans on a song. It felt weird. I don't even know if my jeans fit anymore. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that though. That's what the gym's for. We'll, we'll all that'll get back to normal. Yeah, I know. And then uh, speaking, if you want myself or any of the team uh, to come speak at your event virtually, I've been doing a lot of that virtual speaking stuff. So it's actually kind of cool. Uh, let us know. Our prices have dropped since we do a lot of this stuff virtually. And if things, when things start getting back to normal, if you want us to come do stuff in person, including bringing a podcast to your event, you know, every time we've went to some trade association or university or conference and brought a podcast, it's just got overwhelming response. People love it. So we can do that. Just not today, <laughs> but I'll still talk to you about doing it today. And then first Friday Q and a, you know, the deal, submit a question. If we use your question on the air, you get a big shout out page. We've actually gotten to quite a few questions already? already. And we just released the last first Friday Q and a last week, last week. Yeah. No kidding. Cool. Yeah. So people just go to the website to click on ask a question. And then while you're on the website, go ahead and give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. Uh, join our LinkedIn page or follow our LinkedIn page. We're over 40,000 followers right there. That's one of the places when we go live and we're starting to go live every month that you'll be able to uh, watch our live stream. There, Twitter and YouTube and OGDN 
website. And then, Paige, you're making a face. I'm looking at somebody wrote us a novel. I was already looking at it next week's show. Stop. we got to finish this show. <laughs> Speaking of finishing the show, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, I am. All right. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.